Chapter 19 of The Column of Dust by Evelyn Underhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Josh Middledorf. Chapter 19 Constance, Andrew, and The Truth. Truth, I cried, though the heavens crush me for following her, no falsehood, though a whole celestial lubberland were the price of apostasy. Carlyle. Sartorus Artis. In the evening, Andrew came to her. She looked at him as he entered, surprised that he should so quickly have undertaken this embarrassing visit of farewell. She said to him at once, Muriel has told you, I suppose? Yes, yes, she told me at dinner time, replied Andrew. At dessert. So I thought I'd just come round to say, I'm so awfully sorry it's happened, don't you know? You must have had a beastly ten minutes of it. No notion that you meant to confide in her in that way. Very fine of you, of course, very straight. One admires it. But a girl like Muriel, all notions and no knowledge, so to speak, well, one hardly expects her to take a tolerant view of these things. I thought, I, I hoped perhaps, as she was so unconventional. Well, yes, that's just where it is, said Andrew just where people are apt to make a mistake. She talks like that, but at the bottom she is the usual thing. Wish now that I had warned you. I never thought of it. Really, as a matter of fact, she's just wrapped up in the boy. An intelligent mother, that's her idea, and that is all she means, though, mind you, she doesn't know it, when she talks about women and the race. Contrives somehow to forget the rest, in theory, she thinks it doesn't matter, because she has always lived in a comfortable, married sort of world. But when the thing is forced on her notice, and not quite in order, well, don't you know? He became red and embarrassed. Yes, I see it now, but I had to tell her. Oh, quite realize your feeling, Christmas and all that. Still, it's a pity. But you are not shocked. Her wreck, it seemed, was not the total loss that she had feared. Well, said Andrew, in a way, if you'll forgive my saying so, one guessed, don't you know? Little niece and so on, so papa. Quite a natural idea, mind you, and in my opinion, quite a justifiable deception. So much better for the child if you can keep it up. But shocked, that's hardly a man's feeling. Very sorry, for your sake, of course, hate to think of it. Can't bear to see a woman badly treated and left in the lurch. Like cruelty to animals makes one sick. It's a beastly shame the way some cads behave, and one has no hold over them, worse luck. Poor girl, poor Constance. She said very quickly, don't pity me. I was not badly treated. But he thrust the subject on one side, there was determination as well as delicacy in the action. Constance perceived that could she but rest at this point, she might preserve not only his friendship, but that more precious asset, his respect. Nevertheless, she insisted, please, make no mistake, it was my own fault. I did it. Girls get infatuated, said Andrew, and then they lose their heads, ignorant of the world, very properly so, of course, they don't know what's before em by Jove. I often wonder that more of them don't get into a mess. I was not 
infatuated. Eh? He was astonished. It was altogether different from that, and I am going to make you see it. I won't keep you with half-confessions, foster pathetic illusions, let you be kind to me. This is not a confession, either, for there's nothing in it of which I am ashamed. You shall understand, and then you can sympathize, or leave me, as you please. He expostulated. Only gives you pain, raking it all up like this, and makes no difference, really, these things, old stories between friends. Far better to leave them alone. Between friends, she said, there has already been too much concealment, and it isn't an old story, it is I, myself. Not your real self, replied Andrew, soothingly. My realest self, my real, hungry, active self that longed to live. Don't you know, can't you imagine what it is to have powers and ache to use them, to sit idle and vacant, and see your chances of legitimate satisfaction of life grow hourly less? Listen, I come of middle-class intellectuals, of the sterile class, I with this body. She stood up before him, deep-bosomed, the perfect maternal type, and he thought of Muriel, eager, nervous, narrow-hipped. When I was twenty-seven, she said, I could read in six languages, and yet I hadn't lived. I wanted life. I was proficient in the higher mathematics, but I knew nothing. I wanted to know. Can't you realize the fate of such women as I am? Whole, sound women, perfectly matured creatures, penned, cooped up, wasted. Yes, it's rough luck, said Andrew, slowly, when girls don't get their chance. A wholesome woman wants a husband. The words were kindly meant. He was all for excusing her, but they disclosed instantly the ground upon which she faced him, that foundation of mutual contempt on which the relation of the sexes is raised. They lit antagonisms. He ceased to be Andrew, the friend whom she would enlighten, comfort, and keep. He became man, who dared judge the vital womanhood which life had placed at his mercy, and who should now, she was determined, hear her case. Something took charge, spoke, Constance, amazed, saw her life unroll before her as she defended it, and suddenly perceived a nobility where once she had only supposed a mistake. And if no man needs us, she said, what would you have us do? Read French novels? Had I not a right, the right of all living tissue, the right of all conscious flesh, to dip myself into life, deep in, to touch the ground, stir the muddy depths if I chose. I did it, and paid for it. I don't regret it. Love? This has nothing to do with love. I had machinery at my disposal, the powers of an expert, creative powers. I chose to use them, and there's the result. She held up the washed and faded frock that she had been patching. Nothing very grand, was it, she said. I know that. Don't blame me. Blame the accursed and artificial world. What man of my own class, what being on the upward grade, would have done that which I asked? Would you? No. You would have talked about chivalry and left me to find a navvy to father my child. Anyhow, I made her. 
and it's the soundest, solidest, humanest bit of work that I ever did. I'm justified now. My body is ready for death because I have handed on the torch. It hurt, too, and so I was sure that it was right. She shall be saved in childbearing. Paul knew something when he said that. She stopped, rather breathless. She wondered what had driven her to this astounding candor. Andrew was gazing at her, trying plainly to extract some endurable meaning from her words. His first sympathy was crossed by a crescent anxiety. When she paused, he said to her, Why in God's name didn't you marry the man? I suppose he wanted to marry you? No. She was herself again. More blackguard he. What was he? I, I don't know, said Constance slowly. I never knew his name. Never knew his name? Great heavens! Is that unforgivable? But how could you? Oh, because I longed for life, she said, for something actual and aboriginal, something that one could not alter by thinking about it. I was sick of thin theories and diluted dreams. I had been book-fed too long. I wanted to get down to the processes of creation, to take my turn. He said again, miserably, How could you do it? I could, just because I had to, because the pressure of life was too great. First I was inquisitive, and then I was on fire. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. On one side it still seems beautiful, though the lining was hideous enough. I wanted the great spaces of the world. I saw them there, stretched out, waiting. I went toward them and found the dust heap. Andrew writhed. Why, he said, why have you got to tell me all this? I don't know. It's a sort of honesty, I think. You, you represent the human side. You are it. I must explain to them, clear it up, before I go on. He resented the necessity, thought her selfish, curious how women loved the confessional. Poor devil of priests, he pitied them. But he was in for it now. He braced himself, and she went on. The father of my child was a man, just that. I don't know any more. I went down into the crowd because I wanted the intense, uncivilized thing, but he threw open the gates of life, and I saw the workings of it for a moment. I entered into that part of my inheritance. Anyhow, I didn't know then about the other part. What other part? said Andrew, in a dull, uninterested voice. The thing behind, the real. This seems to be real enough, God knows. Amazement and chivalry, compassion and disgust fought in his slow mind. He was deeply unhappy. The loss of an ideal is a serious matter for practical men. He still wished to be very kind, very friendly. One does not turn on a woman when she is confessed to incredible, even to horrible acts. The past, after all, was past, but he did not look at Constance as he spoke. She saw it. She saw his wretchedness. She came up to him, put her hands on his shoulders, her first familiarity of touch. It was a dominant action, and coming at this moment he found it both astonishing and unfair. 
Oh, yes, she said, I am going to touch you, with my body at least. That is different, and if you understand it, you would leave off being disgusted and grieved. I know you think me soiled, tainted, little better than... He stopped her and denied it, too clumsily. Oh, yes, you do, she said. Poor Andrew, how little you understand it all. About as much, I suppose, as a breeder of white rabbits understands the evolution of the cherubim. One has got to work out one's own way, you know, and life, mere physical life, is the raw material of that, nothing more. But need you have done this? What else? she asked. What, what else was I to do? Vince answered almost sharply, I don't see that. Don't see that at all. Nowadays there are so many opportunities for educated women, useful careers open to them, and so on, very different from what it was in my poor old father's time. Then there was some excuse. I don't say you need have sat at home doing fancy work all day. Single women do a lot of good. Oh, a lot, she said bitterly, paint and scribble and cosset the imperfect, games to distract their attention and make them forget. But I know what I'm for, what life is for. I'm ready. I am here. Look straight at the big thing, the movement of it, the living, teeming world. Is not the gift of life great and holy? What else counts? And isn't this potting question of our individual rights in poor and mean? What do I care who my child's father may be? What does he do in it? Starts the machinery which ends in birth? His part is over then, and I'm left in charge of the race. Rights of woman? Haven't we got them? Do we not stand side by side with God and share the very pangs of creation? Oh, it's all very well talking like this, he answered, claiming your rights and the law of nature and all that. I've read these notions in books, though I never met anyone who acted on them in this sort of way before. But there's more than you in it. There's the poor little kid. One thinks a bit of her, don't you know? No name and so on. No getting over these things. It's bound to crop up later on. Yes, she said gravely, I know it. I owe her a great debt. Vera, the price of truth. Oh, I counted the cost. I had no illusions. But even at that price, I would know. As she spoke, she remembered another voice, which had once cried in her mind, I will know, and recognized a fellow victim of indomitable curiosity. And even then, with that, you still think it was, well, a right sort of thing to do? Sure it was, from the place where I was then, she insisted, and that's the point. You see, I only knew that edge of reality, and I had to live up to my vision. I lived the whole of my animal life, fulfilled that part of my duty. That's all. To eat and not to reproduce. To take life, but not give it. Is that fair? Where I did go wrong was in not walking straight on from that point, not accepting my portion, giving myself up to my job. I didn't care enough. I don't now, and so... I tried to be happy instead of thorough. I looked on the path that I had picked for myself as dreary. It was. But that did not matter, of course. 
and then, quite slowly, I left off being honest, attending to my responsibilities. You came, and Muriel, and the rest. I was lonely, and I wanted you all so much, but the honest thing, the big fact of my life, was Vera. Just so, said Andrew, cheering up a little. But big facts are poor company. Living alone, supporting an illegitimate child, that is what my big fact meant in the concrete, nothing more. Women need little things as well. Do you remember the evening at the play where you were so kind and deferential and gave me sweets? I couldn't bear it that night, going back to the squalid solitude that I had made. It was then I determined that I would keep you somehow, you and Muriel and the others. I loved Muriel. I wanted her. Oh, far more than I have ever wanted you. I could not forgo her, the pleasure of her presence, her refinement, and the pretty life to dip into now and then. So I took advantage of your ignorance, kept quiet. I knew that the child would divide us once I let her, that she would grow up like a barrier to shut me from friendship and joy. Yes, said Andrew, they do somehow. Odd thing, if you think it. First Muriel and I, and Felix coming between us. Now you and I, and this little kid. We always seem to split upon the child. It's always the key of the situation. I could have stood all Muriel's rot, indulged it, liked it, laughed at it, if I hadn't seen it being worked out on the boy. And you, this affair of yours, she pays the price, really, don't you know? She represents it, always before one, impossible to forget. Constance replied, Truths have to become incarnate before they count, at least for solid folks like you and me. He had been speaking to her with a touch of the old confidence, but he caught the note of cleverness in her answer and remembered that in their new relation it was clearly out of place. Oh, come, my dear little girl, he said kindly. His tone was too kind, an intimation that the angel had come to earth, to muddy earth, and might be treated without ceremony by those who still choose to handle her, she said. Well, that is it. It was good of you to come. Now you had better go home. It's quite early. No matter. She stood up before him, plainly intending his dismissal. He rose and took his hat. When shall I see you again? he asked easily. You won't. Now, why on earth not? said Andrew. Don't be foolish. I rather fancied you might try something of this kind. You mustn't imagine that I... That, that it makes any difference between us. Muriel, well, that goes without saying. Can't expect a woman to take a broad line in these things, above all with her female friends. There's the boy to think of. But you and I are old enough to take care of ourselves, aren't we? Yes, she answered, we are. And to know what we want, I wanted two things, your respect and my own. I couldn't have both, it seems. He reassured her. You're mistaken, quite. Afraid I might have spoken hastily. One was surprised just at first, don't you know? You mustn't take any notice. I know, she said. You're very sorry for me, and you're going to be horribly charitable about it. And never mind me of the past. You will condescend to come to my home, though I may not enter yours. 
and you think that is worthwhile? Why, a curate could do as much. Go! Do you hear? I won't have you. I can bear solitude, yes, and remembering, too. But no more compromise. I've been left alive for a bit, all these years, and I never knew how dead I was. She stopped and laughed at him. Oh, and if only you knew why I did it, she said, why I told you, had to be honest, if you knew the rest of the tale, how mad, how wildly mad you'd think me. Andrew replied, well, you are a bit cranky today. If I don't see any objection in coming, why the devil should you mind if I come? My affections have still their independence. They shan't accept outdoor relief. He did not understand this, and therefore resented it. He was confused, for the interview had not taken the course which his illusions had led him to expect. There had been something pathetic, almost respectable, in his idea of Constance's fall from virtue. He had seen in the little girl a possible link between them, and had looked forward to his own broad-minded act of kindness, to an enduring connection which should be faintly flavoured by a natural gratitude on her side, a tolerant comprehension upon his. But it was all very different from this. She did not want him. It was she, after all, who usurped the prerogative of virtue and cast him off. A disappointing woman. In this respect, he had once thought her an exception to her sex. Nevertheless, as he went down the long flight of stairs, he said to himself, I'm damned if I don't send that poor little kid a jolly Christmas present all the same. As for Constance, once he had gone, her high courage left her quickly. It was one thing to burn your boats when they have brought you to the invasion of a desirable country, another to destroy them when they have cast you upon the arid shores of no man's land. She had obeyed orders blindly. No more came. In this ghastly moment, when she knew herself solitary in the world, cut off by her own honesty from her kind, the cup gave to her no comfortable light. She sat huddled before it, before the closed doors of the shrine, in the empty and hideous room. She hated that triumphant chalice which had brought her to this miserable pass, hated it, as children hate in their gusty wrath the masters whom they are impelled to obey. The watcher within whispered words of affection and grief. But he was a spiritual thing. She could not touch him. It is only at the end of our education that we can learn to find our comfort in a voice. End of chapter 19